It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Brandon and I are talking about things that we have changed about our practices since we began. And this episode uh, was something that popped into my mind after I was going back through, you know, I'm on a rotation right now. I've got a nice hour commute each way, and I've been rolling through some of the old uh, Ask Mike Ronald Show uh, podcast episodes, and they have some great stuff on there. And there was one that, you know, it was interesting. It was like things that they've changed in their clinical practice. And it was all the guys at, at Champion up there in Boston t- talking about how they have changed over the years and things that they used to do, things that they do now, um, and why they've, they've uh, grown and adapted over time and evolved. So I thought it'd be cool. Brandon and I talked about this too. So uh, Brandon and I are going to give you uh, some of the things that you know, since he started, uh, you know, seeing patients and since I started working with clients, what, you know, how has our, our practice changed? But, uh, first Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. About yourself. Oh, I can't complain. This is week 12 of 12 in the skilled nursing facility. I'm going to miss all my, uh, uh, all my old ladies. Um, they're, they're great. It's, uh, it's been, it's been such a cool experience, man. It, it's one of those things. It's not the setting that I, you know, ever envisioned myself, um, working in. I don't plan on necessarily, necessarily doing it, but, um, it, it's been really beneficial and unique because, you know, in the outpatient setting, you never know who's going to walk through the door. Um, I think so. It's always a great thing to, to, to have under your belt. And then of course, you know, being more conscious of vitals and things because of this population, I think also carries over to, uh, you know, an outpatient population where sometimes we aren't, um, as cognizant of those things. So I, I think it's been great, man, but I'm ready for, uh, a short little break before going back to class. Jeez, man, this has been a fast 12 weeks. I can't believe it's already over. Yeah, I know. And we started the, the best part about it is I'm going to get to hang around the, uh, the new facility so much more now. Uh, cause during the day, you know, I'm just sitting there, you know, having some serious fear of missing out, uh, over at the gym and clinic. Uh, you know, since <laughs> we opened about a week before my rotation started. So I got like a good, like four or five days in there, um, uh, during the day. And now I'm going to get to be there pretty much 24 seven. Um, so I'm basically going to just find a place to way to put a bed in there and just kind of live at the, at the gym and the clinic. But, uh, I'm excited. Oh, dude, it's- it's gonna it's gonna be a lot louder having you there full time. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, carries I'm, across yeah. the whole place. <laughs> it's gonna be fun, man. I, I'm excited. I'll, I'll I'll do my best to uh, to keep it down uh, when y'all are seeing patients. When I'm it's all good, man. High energy. Oh yeah, we have we're we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna have a good time. But um, anyway. The things we've changed, I figured we'll go back and forth here a little bit. Um, so since you started practicing, which um, remind the listeners, you know, when that was and then, um, you know, what's, what's something that you really have changed over the years? 
Jeez, man. It's, it's like so many things. So I, I graduated in December, 2010. So we're talking like January, 2011. So yeah, eight plus years. It's, it's crazy, man. But yeah, so many things. And this was, you know, this was a good reflective exercise. I'm glad you brought it up because I almost want to write an apology letter to some of my earliest patients back when I was a young buck, just for not, you know, doing things better. Um, this is good, man. So I guess we'll just kind of go, go back and forth and just see how it goes, see how it flows. But, um, you know, I think the first one is, um, you know, just basically structuralism, right? So, so meaning that I thought more that problems and therefore the solutions, things like pain always arose from a body part. And maybe it's because it's taught that way in school, or at least it was back in my day. And to compound that, my first job out of school was attached to an orthopedic surgeon's office. And he was, he was old school, man. He was all about surgery, drugs, and imaging. You know, at the time that definitely influenced me, but luckily I've had some good mentors along the way that have helped me see things from all sides. And now I know that, you know, people get real deep into pain science. I mean, there's, there's some PTs out there that'll look at a man with a fresh, freshly severed leg, like the movie Saul. And the first thing that might come out of their mouth is something like, it's okay, bro. That leg doesn't actually hurt. It's just output, output from your brain. But you know, it turns out that you, you can't actually Adrian Lowe or Lorimer Mosley your way out of every situation. And going real deep, going too deep into pain science is, is real cool when you're speaking to another PT, maybe teaching a class or doing some kind ed courses. But you got to keep in mind that for the most part, hitting a patient with that, you know, that pain is output from your brain in the beginning, like on day one, it's not always going to resonate with every person that walks to the door, you know, especially this initial evaluation. And, you know, we say it all the time on the show that it's probably not a good idea to subscribe to absolutes. And you're now starting to see some papers coming out refuting the validity of the biopsychosocial approach. And, you know, in my opinion, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle of going all in on pain science and going on all structuralism. But I think the only thing that matters in the clinical setting is the person in front of you on the table. And, you got to really take the time to thoroughly listen to what they got to say and decide what approach to take with them because no two people are alike. Wow. Now I, that's like a mic drop answer right there. I don't know how I follow that one, but um, <laughs> I, you know, I think I, I love a couple of things about that answer. One, um, I think you're right. I think the answer does lie somewhere in the middle and it's hard, you know, subscribing to absolutes. Like we talked about a little bit on one of our last episodes where we we're talking about, you know, abandoning, abandoning manual therapy. Uh, it's kind of a, a similar idea that, you know, sitting all the way on one end of the spectrum probably isn't the best place to be. Um, I think it's great acknowledging that. And also I love your idea uh, where you're saying you might want to write an apology letter to your early patients. Uh, I feel the same way about some of my early clients. And fortunately I'm still with still working with a lot, like some of those really early clients. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's funny to go back and look through you know, what I gave them before. I almost want them to not ever go back and look. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm almost like embarrassed at myself. And I got some workouts uh, from 20, 2015. From yeah, I know. I don't know if I ever want you to bring those out again. I have no, <laughs> no idea. Um, but, uh, the, the first thing for me, um, with that, uh, kind of along the same lines for me from my early clients is that less is more and it's more about mastering mm. the basics. Um, so I was very much someone who, you know, I take, I take a pretty analytical approach to everything and I like to have, you know, like all my bases covered. So I, I would put in a lot of stuff and it would be, uh, you know, you know, everything I could think of sometimes, because I would almost be so worried about not hitting something for someone, like not touching on a certain piece that I would do just too much. And not that I would necessarily overtrain a lot of individuals, but it was just kind of all over the place that, you know, the, 
it was big for me to go through and, and read things like, you know, we talk about Dan John a lot, but read like some Dan John stuff and read some other stuff that was talking about, man, master the basics and the fundam- fundamentals first and spend a ton of time there. You can always expand on that. So I would be trying to make you know, really basic exercises. I try to make them advanced by really just making them harder, but not necessarily progressing them. If that makes sense. Like instead of a basic exercise, it's basically advanced basic exercises. You know, so like, you know, instead of mastering, you know, your basic movement patterns of squatting, hinging, um, pushing, pulling, single leg work and carries and just drooling those over and over. I was trying to attack it from so many different angles. And, you know, for me, that was a problem in my early programs. Um, I, I, I gave people too many different things like that. And, you know, variance is great and variety is great. And it keeps it interesting to be changing it up and going through all these different things. But, you know, for me, I had to re I had to rein it in a little bit, um, and get, you know, help my, my clients, my athletes get really, really good at the basics and really focus on their movement um, within those basic patterns and then expand out from there. No, I love that, man. That was on my list too. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple, master fundamentals, man. That's, you know, that's the one thing that I think everyone has in common. That's the best of what they do is that they master the fundamentals. And yep. it's true. You even PT world as well. You don't always have to get fancy. Just like you said, push, pull, squat, hinge, carry a little bit of groundwork, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time that's, that's going to get people to where they want to be. You know, I know at least in my world, we don't always have to get fancy, um, to get the job done and to get it done well too. So that's a, uh, that's huge, man. That was definitely, uh, you stole mine there, but no, I got no, I'm sorry. List. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, if we both had it on our list, it must be important. That's true. That's true. It's huge. So on the, on the, along the lines of exercises, the next one that I had was, um, you know, early in my career, I, I thought that there were maybe some dangerous exercises or, or maybe more dangerous positions. And what I mean by that is like, man, fresh out of PT school, if someone squatted or did a step down with their knees caving in, bro, I treated it like it was cancer. I'm, I'm kidding though. I mean, I, not that bad. I didn't go into that hard, but you know, when I'd see people doing movements like that, you know, I'd spend so much time focusing on correcting that pattern and that position that I completely neglected the fact that maybe people also need to be strong in position of vulnerability. You know, especially if you work with combat sports and I'm going on a tangent here about vagus, vagus knees, but that's often a very effective way to defend a takedown or, you know, think about catchers, think about some of your high level weightlifters that utilize a little more hip internal rotation, their advantage, and, you know, context is key here. I'm not teaching some 12 year old baby giraffe to squat, not need, but maybe, you know, when I have an ACL reconstruction patient comes in and it's getting close to discharge, there's going to be a point in their return to sport that I'm going to load them up in a little bit of controlled valgus. You know, if there's any uh, orthos listening and put the earmuffs on because, you know, we know that just like other soft tissues, ligaments are going to become more dense and they respond well to load and they have the ability to increase their amounts of pro collagen alpha one type. So, you know, I think that along those lines, we're seeing now that you can basically load up on open chain knee extension exercises early in the rehab process. And, you know, not only that, it's looking like you probably should do it. Um, and it's not all about knees, man. I'm talking about lumbar spines too, you know, people that peripheralize with flexion, you know, as soon as their sentence improve. We're loading them up in a little bit of flexion. You know, Jefferson curl here or there. Nothing wrong with that. You know, God forbid we do sit-ups, right? You know, ain't no backs exploding in our clinic. And I think that, um, you know, if you think McKenzie is going to be crossing your patient's minds in the morning when they're bending over and uh, going to tie their kid's shoes, you know, you're wrong. So, you know, again, you can't be a dumbass and have your week one lumbar spine post-op doing Jefferson curls. But all I'm saying here is that you just need to take the time to put yourself in your patient's shoes. You know, that's, that's empathy, right? And, you know, really take the time to make sure that you know all the demands of their lifestyle, the demands of their sport, and realize that as human beings, we're all adaptable. And we're all going to be put in all kinds of spots and positions that probably wouldn't look great on any SFMA breakouts. Yeah, man. I 
did not have this written on my list, but you make a great point because when I was first, you know, into coaching, I really did not have a good grasp of movement variability and having, you know, the individual differences between people in a certain movement pattern. For me, it was, you know, very much like, oh, I learned the squat was this at, you know, from mm-hmm. this book or from this coach or this certain, you know, at the at my L one or whatever it was, and and you know, everyone had to squat like that, and and anything that didn't look you know, didn't look right. I was trying to find a way to fix it. And, you know, I've, you know, thankfully grown away from that and realized that we are all unique in our anatomy and how we're going to do things. And then you mentioned sports specific or, uh, you know, whatever they need to be able to do, um, you know, certain positions that we may have to load up that aren't, you know, what we would conventionally think we're going to have to do. So I've definitely grown in that way too. It wasn't on my list, but I'm glad that you mentioned that because, uh, you know, it's trying to fit everybody into a perfect box, um, you know, doesn't work. And that, that was something when I first started, um, I, I struggled with too. So was, uh, was, like K-Star, was K-Star like your Scantron answer sheet for how oh, so much man, Yeah. And that's actually my next, my next point. I'm glad that you led me in that to, to that was, and this is nothing against Kelly Sturrett because I think Kelly Sturrett is arguably, he's one of the reasons I went to PT school because he, you know, I know you said it a lot, like he's one of the people that made PT cool. Um, he, you know, I, in my first start, when I first started CrossFit in July of 2012, I think starting like August one, I did the first 60 days of his mobility watch stuff that he posted. I did every video from day one. I did a different one every single day for like the first 60 days at the recommendation of my coach. Um, and because I had, I had some mobility issues, man. I was coming from, you know, you know, just getting done, you know, catching for 15 years. So I did not squat in the, in ideal squat position. So, um, you know, but with that, what did I do? I bought supple effort. I followed mobility wide stuff all the time. And for me, I, I put on my list number, my, my, one of my things, I said, cool it with the banded mobility and the smashing. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I, when I first started, man, I figured it didn't matter what you had going on. There was a banded mobility or a, a lacrosse ball exercise or <laughs> stretch or something that I could do to fix it. Like that was, that was the mindset there. And I think that was just, you know, I, I, you know, ignorance on my part and not really understanding um, you know, understanding the human body very well. I mean, you know, this is before PT school, this is all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it really took me, you know, growing to realize that, you know, those are great tools for certain people in certain instances at certain times. And so that was, you know, something with me is I, in my personal training, my own training, but then also training with my clients is I would put a ton of, you know, these, this passive mobility work into their warmups and things like that and their cool downs. And I've grown, I've grown a lot since then. And now, you know, it's rarely applied. Not that there isn't a place for it, but for me, my warmups now are so much more about, you know, getting, you know, hot and sweaty, getting actually warm and then prepping movement patterns um, and, and doing things that are going to be good lead-ins into the training session to where if you started and watched some, one of my athletes going from their start of their warm-up to the actual first set of their exercise, you should you probably can't really tell where the warm-up ended and the training started, if that made sense, because it's that gradual ramping up that whole time that includes those you know different types of um, you know quote unquote activation type exercises. I love everybody loves to use that word, um, but it might be specific you know stability work for them or movement pattern prep for them. So uh, that's been something for me. My warm-ups and cooldowns have changed, and I've pulled back a ton on the banded mobility and smashing and moved more into an active preparation. Bro, when Supple Leopard came out, that was like all of CrossFit for like three years. Oh man, I have, I'm, I think doing, I have I'm doing my mobility. I did my mobility. My shoulder still hurts. And it's, it's Bro, like I, smashing I the crossbow. I timed 
how long my warmups and cooldowns were and like just my off days on how much just work I did with a freaking band strapped to the rig. You know, like there's, oh my gosh, I did so much of it. Um, and again, there's a time and place for everything. I just had to learn when that was. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up too about the warm up because that's, you know, I've, I've placed, this is not on my list, but I place a lot more value in the warm up entirely. I mean, that's where, you know, I'll, I'll fit in corrective exercise. That's where I'll fit in mobility where it's like almost seamless, almost like streamlined into the workout. And I'm talking about like myself and with my patients too, because again, I'm you know generally trying to focus on the fundamental movements when we're actually doing the rehab and stuff like that too. But yeah, that's, that's definitely evolved in my practice as well. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up. Mm-hmm. All right, ma'am. Uh, real quickly, you know, I'm not, I'm not even sure if I should bring this up because it's probably going to be sold out by the time this episode drops, but Donnie Thompson's body temperance certification is coming to Casey, South Carolina. Oh, Man, yeah. did, you see, uh, did you see that picture of Coach K practicing at Brooklyn Casey High School? That's a yeah. stone throw away from our clinic, man. Yeah. So that, uh, that, yeah, that was cool. That course. So that, uh, that course is going to be Saturday, April 13th. So if you want to learn the techniques that have helped all kinds of athletes win championships, and I'm talking teams like Cle- the Clemson Tigers, Philadelphia Eagles, um, you know, I'll tell you who's not doing body tempering, and that's Rob Gronkowski, just yep. retired yesterday, right? So uh, <laughs> We're dating you know, the sure episode to- right now. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, be, sure to, be sure to come to that course um, if you're going to be in town or if you're going to be near the East Coast. It'll be well worth the trip. Mm-hmm. So next one I have on my list. Um, I was trying to figure out how to word this, but, you know, early in my career, I guess I had the, the mindset that our elderly population needed something different, you know, maybe something less than the rest of our patients, you know. So there, you know, there were a couple of years after I've been practicing that I had a cash-based clinic and therefore I could not treat any Medicare. So, you know, I was, I had no geriatric population for a while. And, you know, once I stepped away and I got used to treating, you know, pretty much only CrossFitters, you know, mind you, I was located in a CrossFit box at that time. You know, a lot of weekend warrior types, you know, then I went back and network with Medicare and not for nothing, I began treating them just like everyone else. So, you know, my grandmas and my grandpas, hell, even great grandmas were deadlifting. They were squatting. They were pushing and pulling sleds doing farmer's walks, just like everyone else. And they still are. And they love it. And, you know, really and truly the, you know, more recent research has shown that our elderly, they have a tremendous capacity to gain real strength, muscle mass, you know, and we know muscle mass is basically a vital sign. If you have more of it, you're going to be way more likely to live longer. It's, it's not debatable, which is, which is, that's another reason why I don't run anymore. That's one of my excuses. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now that we're armed with all this great information, it now becomes basically a moral decision, like an ethical decision that if we don't load our elderly appropriately in the clinic, and we don't arm them with the tools so they can carry it on after they're done with us, we're doing the disservice. We might even be killing them, taking years off their life. So if you walk into a clinic and they have your grandma playing with the yellow TheraBand and some ankle weights, get them out of there real fast and take them to another clinic. I mean, anyone worth their weight in salt these days is going to be able to pick up the phone and talk to you at another clinic down the street about what to expect when your loved ones go in. Yeah, man, I think you're, you know, I love that. I think that's great. And I think that's something that I'm enjoying with the, uh, the population I'm working with right now in this rotation is, is exposing them to some different things. I'm doing an in-service tomorrow, um, with, uh, the other clinicians there and we're talking about deadlifting in the nursing home, the skilled nursing facility. You know, I've got kettlebells there and we're going over uh, proper hinge technique. And it's like, you know, think, you know, that that's one of those things that five years ago, was that ever a thing? You know, and so like, mm-hmm. I think it's so awesome. One that the, my CI and the other clinicians at, um, at the, this is NHC and Sumter, give them a shout out. Um, they, you know, are so open to, you know, adapting their clinical practice and trying to, you know, advance themselves, which is awesome. And they're also, you know, 
up to date on the research. They're reading the same things you mentioned where we talk about we have to load this population. And so it's been fun to actually do that and to implement that and have my, um, I always joke, have my little, little old ladies doing kettlebell swings and carries in the hallway of the nursing home. You know, that's, uh, there's, it's, uh, it's fun, man. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that's such a huge point for, for clinicians, clinicians out there that work with anybody kind of in that geriatric population. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad your rotation is almost over so we can get all of our kettlebells back, man. There's been, <laughs> way too, there's been way too many uneven carries being done the last 12 weeks. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but hey, the, 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 my, my, my peoples at the nursing home are better for it. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, the next one I had, man, was that intensity isn't always everything. Um, and that was something that was tough for me too, because you go through, uh, you know, the, you know, you go through level one and you hear, you know, everybody's, you know, needs are the, you know, they're, 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 they differ by degree, not kind. Um, and I'd argue that's not really true. Um, I think that, you know, you have to look at the individual and not every workout for every person needs to end up with them laying on the ground in a pool of sweat, looking up at the fan spinning above them. Um, and for me, it was, I was almost, you know, you know, subconsciously concerned that the person wouldn't feel like they got a good workout. They wouldn't feel quote unquote, like they got a good workout. Um, and I've realized that, you know, that I was, I was missing the boat, right? Because, you know, most of these individuals are coming to me, you know, when, when I was starting, I was getting people to come to me, they were, they were over fat, they weren't sleeping, um, that, you know, they're coming off the couch and I'm trying to basically push them until they feel like they got to throw up kind of thing. And that's just, you know, for me, that was just wrong. It was just misguided that, you know, I need to, you know, I had to back up and look at it from more 30,000 foot view and focus on really good structured periodized strength work um, that focused on great movement patterns and basic aerobic development for these individuals and then attack it from a nutrition perspective. Don't even worry about that, that middle stuff that uh, James Fitzgerald always calls the shitty shit shit. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need them to try to come in there and do two to three minute, five minute workouts all out. You know, that was, that was something that took me a little bit to, to grasp it. Like I need to get this person comfortable moving at a very low intensity and just continuous movement. I need to get them comfortable learning basic movement patterns and loading those movement patterns up and progress those and then attack it from more of the lifestyle side of things. And that's where they're going to see results. Um, they might see results from just getting in and doing that type of training that I mentioned, um, that the high intensity type training for a little bit, because, you know, honestly, that population, they're going to get better from anything to start. Um, but from a long-term perspective, that's not how I'm going to set them up for success in two, three, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Um, so for me, I had to pull back on the idea that everyone needed a ton of intensity, quote unquote, uh, initially. It, it, my, my, programming move very much from how do I make this person, you know, maybe feel like they got a great workout to really what's most appropriate based on all these other factors with this individual. And it really came down to good progressive resistance training that that was appropriate for the individual and the right movement patterns, and then basic aerobic work, and then look at it from a lifestyle perspective. And I got so much more out of that than trying to come up with creative, hard, you know, what, what looks cool on Instagram type workouts. Yeah, that's, that's huge, man. I feel like the, uh, the, the mindset is kind of changing really all across sports with that too. You know, I think it, I think it's kind of become a little more old school that you need to go hard to go all out all the time. I mean, you see that in, in CrossFit, you see that in wrestling now, like the greats, like Dan Gable, who was famous for, you know, running four miles to practice and practicing three hours and running four miles home is now coming out and saying, we did it wrong back in my day, you know, these guys are a lot smarter now and sometimes less is more. These guys, you know, you're able to last longer through a season. You're able to peak when you're supposed to peak and that kind of thing too. And, um, and, and that's huge, man. You know, I think that's, um, 
you know, I think, you know, it's hard to wrap our minds around as human beings to wrap our minds around doing less to get more, but you're, you're absolutely right, man. You do not always, there's a time and place for it, but you don't always have to go hard. You don't always have to go all out because sometimes you can just break people down that way. Yeah, that's, and I want to make sure that, that I make that point too, that there is a time and place. My, my issue was initially it was all about intensity all the time because I got right into that CrossFit mindset. I drank the Kool-Aid hard when I got done playing. I got my level one soon. I was coaching soon. I was competing in the sport. And for me, it was just like, you know, hard, intense stuff all the time. And, and that was, you know, for me, I just, I, I, I feel like I've grown since that point, in my opinion. Like there's a time and a place, but, Honestly, you're not going to be able to express, you know, power and high output in that in that time domain at that intensity anyway if you haven't built the strength in the aerobic base. So for me, I was putting the cart before the horse anyway. Even if I felt like that was what was needed, you couldn't even do it with most people because they aren't developed enough, they aren't strong enough to express that power, they don't have enough of an aerobic base to be able to continue the uh, output. So you know, it it really came. Let's let's back up a little bit and, and start from where square one really is. Yeah. And if, and if you're curious about what Josh is talking about and he's, you know, talking about these terms about, you know, how to build someone up, how to help someone get an aerobic base so that they can, you know, train hard and train intense when it's the time, you should also check out the other course we got coming up at Vertex. So that one's called strength and conditioning in the clinic. So that's going to be taught by Dr. Kyle Thibodeau and Josh Jeffrey, my co-host here. That's going to be May 18th and 19th. And again, that's at our clinic, Vertex PT specialist in Casey, South Carolina. Not going to miss that one. You are on point with these uh, these segues, man. <laughs> this is awesome. But anyway, anyway, back to the list. What you got next? <laughs> All right. So so this one, you know, I think it's an it's a no brainer. But you know, one on one individualized care is king. Words are hard. Sorry. Um, so my first job, talking about it again, it was a mill clinic. You know, I was averaging eighteen patients a day, but it wasn't uncommon to see somewhere around twenty. Now I, I know there's plenty of people out there listening that see closer to thirty, and I feel for you, but you know, it took me two and a half years of doing this to, to see the light and to realize that that was a shitty way to practice because it does not matter how good of a therapist you are. You know, when you're seeing that many people, your quality is going to suffer. You know, you're probably, you probably spent seven plus years of school over a hundred thousand dollars in debt to become a doctor of physical therapy. And you cannot practice to the top of that license, the top of that degree in a setting like that. And now, you know, I've, I've been one-on-one since Obama was president and I can never go back. You know, I'd probably want to blow my brains out if I went back to that kind of setting for real. Um, and I don't necessarily think that cash-based is the only solution, that it's the best way to go. And, you know, this is coming from a former cash-based PT. And, and that's simply because that's just not what the majority of people want. It, it just isn't, not at least yet. And you, I think that means that if you truly want to expand your footprint and you want to serve more people, and this includes the elderly population, because you have to get a network with Medicare if you want to legally treat them. That means you're going to want to pick and choose the payers that you get a network with. So you can still be one-on-one for an hour. You'll probably grow faster if you're good at what you do and you'll get to hire more people, which means you'll get to expand your product. And you know, there's naysayers that are going to say insurance doesn't pay enough to be one-on-one, but we're, we're one-on-one for an hour with every single person that comes to the door. And people are also going to say that, um, you know, it's, it's too much work getting on the phone with insurance companies, hire some admin staff, right? Shout out to Nicole, best billing coordinator in the business. Uh, that's our girl, right? So, um, or outsource your billing if you got to do that. It's a business, right? Part of business is having systems in place. So all you cash-based PTs out there, you know, I, I really think that you guys are doing God's work. I respect all you because I know you're doing the right thing and you're making us all look good as a profession. But, you know, really take some time to really take a deep, long look at what it's going to take to grow. 
to grow your business, serve more people, expand your product. So if you're not growing, you're dying, man. Yeah. I feel like Tony Robbins right now. <laughs> well, man, I honestly, the, it amazes me whenever I hear you talk about that, man. I could not imagine seeing 20, 30 people in a day. Like that is unbelievable to me. I, I don't, I just don't know how that's even legal. If you think about it from like what the, the, the way the product has to suffer there, I've been fortunate enough to really be exposed to good PT from basically my entire, uh, you know, my entire life. I've been very, very lucky. So, um, I, I consider myself, uh, you know, v- you know, very blessed that I experienced that first because that is where I'm going to go with my life. So, um, I can't imagine that man. And, um, yeah, I, <laughs> for all those people out there, if they want to learn more, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out about how you can maybe, maybe get out of that situation. Cause it, I, I just don't know how you do it. Um, but anyway, moving back into my, I have one more on my list, man. Um, and mine is more about the actual act of programming a very specific type of training. This is about Olympic weightlifting. So I work with a lot of CrossFitters. I work with Olympic weightlifters. And for me, the, what I have written down here is weightlifting is an expression of strength. And so that is something that is saying that I've said a few times before, I think on the podcast. But for me, I used to have people build up to heavy lifts in the snatch, the clean, the jerk, clean and jerk, um, very often. And I would, you know, have them push weights a lot with the goal of, of building those up. And, you know, for me, I, I've changed completely from that. For me now, I look at it as weightlifting is now an expression of the strength that I develop through other means, through squats, pulls, presses, that kind of thing. I build up that strength and then I, during that time, I'm drilling the technique at lighter loads, lighter percentages, and I'm fine tuning. And then I try to build up the percentages of the weightlifting and hopefully carry over that strength I've developed in more of those conventional lifts to be able to lift more weight because I've increased my technical proficiency and I've built my raw strength there. And now I'm kind of blending the two together. Um, so for me, that was a big change in my practice was dropping weightlifting percentages and working more technical, you know, technical on the list themselves and really putting more of my emphasis on the on squats pulls presses that kind of thing and then trying to merge the two versus trying to get heavy often in weightlifting because um i'm i i've kind of you know i could add this could be like a if this is number four this could be four four b if that was four a this would be four b is stop missing lifts. I used to myself personally miss lifts way too often and my lifters would miss lifts way too often. And I think miss lifts are a huge detriment. And one of the reasons that a lot of people stop progressing. And I think it's because they're working at higher percentages too often and they wonder why they're missing lifts and they're just hitting the same thing over and over again. And, and I don't think that's great for long-term progression. So for me working with my crossfitters and my Olympic lifters, building up their snatch and the queen and jerk, I'm, I've kind of moved to where I'm working more lower percentages and building strength elsewhere. And then I'm trying to carry that over into the weightlifting, uh, you know, the two lifts themselves. But those PRs get the likes on Instagram. I know, man, nobody likes to see how well your 60, 65, 70% looks. But, um, but honestly though, that is, that's something that I has been huge in my development there and just my whole weightlifting, um, you know, programming, uh, you know, has changed a ton since I started and I've got to get, you know, shout outs to, to other people here. You know, I'm a big fan of, of Greg Everett and Catalyst Athletics. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, they've been influ- uh, you know, very instrumental in my development there. Also the Ma strength camp, their ebook is great. Uh, Quinn Hinnick puts out great information too, has an awesome course. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many great res- weightlifting resources out there, uh, as well. Um, a hundred days of technique is another great one too. Um, there's so many great things out there and there's so much good information that, 
Um, you know, for me, it just took time to learn that. Um, but I'm really, I'm really been pushing out with some people. People will come to me and they'll be like, Oh, I haven't hit, you know, I've been, my snatch has been stuck at this for three years. And, you know, I talk about what are you doing? And you look and they're just building up to heavy lifts all the, all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's actually pulling away from it. And then getting back to it is when they hit new PR. So um, that's been a huge development too from my, from my weightlifting programming. Yeah. And I think if you, if you ever get the chance to actually, you know, talk to a really high level athlete, you know, maybe someone who's actually won a championship and you, and you look at their program and you like, look at what they do for the majority of the year. It's not very entertaining. It's very boring stuff, but that's what it takes to get it done. And you have to hit those, you know, lighter percentages at higher volumes if you're going to want to succeed. You know, it's not all about the PRs, right? Yep. So, uh, you know, real quickly, cause I, I spent, I spent like 20 minutes of my lunch break doing these bullet points. I got a few rapid fire things I want to throw out too. So right, um, just real quickly. So, um, let's see. So random thoughts here. So I used to do more manual therapy and you know, I think that's because I thought it did more than it does. You know, I still use it, but we know that we are basically not going to create any structural change whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see, I used to be more obsessed with chasing numbers in the clinic. So, you know, programming, you know, Therex and rehab programs. I was real specific on sets and rep schemes. But, you know, my world, the outcome is what you need to chase. And it's important to be adaptable to the day-to-day change. I mean, like, for example, if you got a high score college athlete and you're planning on hitting something that requires 100% intensity, like explosive repeats. But, you know, let's say maybe his girlfriend just broke up with him. You, you ain't getting that 100% effort for the whole session. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, I've gotten better at just keeping an open mind and realizing that, you know, what's true today might not be true tomorrow and what's failed in the past might work tomorrow as well too. So that was, uh, that was kind of the last thing on my list. No, those are awesome. I love that rapid fire. And as you're thinking there too, I had some things I didn't necessarily write down as big points to talk about, but a couple more that I had to add to that too. Um, for me, um, running is a skill. Um, before I never looked at running as a skill really, um, as much, you know, when I was first getting started, it was more about like, okay, I need to implement running or build running volume, these different things, or use my energy system training knowledge to, to progress somebody with their running. But, um, I never really understood running as a skill. Um, that's somewhere I've grown, uh, from a nutrition perspective, it was all about the numbers when I first started. It was how can I use you know, how can I calculate the perfect formula to figure out this person's ideal macronutrient breakdown to help them? And I've realized that that is part of the picture. Don't get me wrong. Quantity is really, really important, but uh, honestly, we're not going to be exactly right. There's so much error in everything that we're doing. And, you know, it's more ballpark for that anyway. And for me, it's more about, you know, being, you know, more eating right for, for your type, your body type, your, met, your metabolic type, uh, focusing a lot on the, the quality of what you're eating, the source of everything. Um, I've kind of focused more on that kind of thing to try to reduce as much inflammation as possible. Uh, you know, going that route, uh, even more so than focusing on what the numbers are themselves. Uh, that was something that took me um, a little bit of growing into too, because I was all always about the, I was always about the numbers, man. That's kind of how I, I, I operate. And I had to really pull back from that too. Um, so those were another couple things I had put on there. Boom. Mic drop. Yeah. Oh, you want to know something else too? Yep. This is one more that popped in my mind just now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking over, I looked over at my bookshelf to try to see some, if I had anything popping in my mind. Um, I used to be so worried about my, you know, at like, athletes, I would try to make sure they had the right training volume and everything be appropriate for them. And I progress their volume. And even more so now, like I'm making sure like I'll pull back their volume if they're not getting enough sleep. I had, you know, a couple athletes even recently that were, you know, hitting doubles and their first ones an early AM session before work and they're hitting something again after work. And, you know, they were consistently reporting, you know, six, six and a half, seven hours of sleep. And I pulled their AM session. 
you know, on a few, on, on most, if not all the week, because for me, I've now, I've moved and I think I knew this, but I never really progressed it. Sleep to me is king. You know, it's the most anabolic thing we can do. It's more important than that second session. Um, so for me, I've actually adjusted a lot of people to their training volume where I've pulled it back so they can get more sleep. Um, and so that was something else too. The priority of sleep, uh, you know, is it can't be understated. So, um, you know, that early AM session, you know, I'd rather back it down from an hour to a half an hour and you get half an hour more sleep if, if you know, for a lot of people. So, um, I think that's something too, to consider, man, I took sleep for granted until I had a kid. Yeah. Now it comes out of premium. Yeah, I know, man. I'm, I'm, I've been struggling a little bit. This rotation is better than the last rotation on my sleep, but I still haven't found the perfect routine when, when everything is all together. I know I got one more shot at these rotations <laughs> to, figure, to, to have that routine in place. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back to getting full night sleeps every night. Um, that should hopefully uh, happen here soon. Got it. Well, real quickly before we sign off, I want to take a minute just to thank all of our loyal listeners for all the DMs, the follows, the shout outs, all those iTunes reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, let us know what you want us to talk about. You know, feel free to hit us up on Instagram. It's at Better Faster Podcast. And uh, we'll be back next Monday. Have a great week. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.